Hey, I'm Danny Pincus, the Brand and Partnerships Director here at Future Women. I'm super excited to present this special series to you in partnership with Westfield and Dove. The Westfield Women in Conversation series has been on the road for the past few months. We've travelled to 11 Westfield centres across Australia with some of the country's most recognisable women. Journalist, TV presenter, author and hashtag crap housewife, Jessica Rowe. Performer, radio host and glitter lover, M. Rassiano. Journalist, 60 Minutes and Weekend Today presenter, Alison Langdon. And author and domestic violence advocate, Rosie Batty. This series has been dedicated to celebrating real beauty and empowering confidence in women. You'll hear from these inspiring women who have found their liberation through change in the face of adversity and life's challenges. We spoke to them on topics of style, ageing, motherhood, about relationships with other women, their families, their friends, and most importantly, themselves. So get comfortable and nestle into this Q&A with journalist and 60 Minutes presenter Alison Langdon, hosted by FW Managing Director Helen McCabe at Westfield Hornsby in New South Wales. Ali Langdon has had an extraordinary career in journalism and she does make me feel quite inadequate at times when we get to the sorts of stories she's covered. She's written a book. She was on 60 Minutes by about the age of 30, which as a young um, journalist, that would have been my dream to be uh, elevated to 60 Minutes at 30. So I just want to put that in some context for you. Uh, So it's a great um, privilege for me to welcome her here today. And I think a round of applause. Thank you. I landed my dream gig. 60 Minutes is all I ever wanted. That was it. Um, And my husband and I got married when I was 29. And a year later, I was appointed to 60 Minutes. And I mean, the reality of 60 is we spend six, seven months of the year on the road, often overseas. Um, So that didn't really fit in with having a baby. And... um, For a long time, I sort of thought that it was something that we wouldn't do. Um, My sister and my brother, between them, have got five, six kids. And um, I was a great auntie, but I didn't sort of think I was missing out on anything. And then just something sort of just came over me when I was 36 of just thinking, hang on, I need to start thinking about this. Am I okay if if we don't have children? Um, And then just kind of thought... I think I want to. I think I want to give this a crack. Probably underestimated how it was going to change everything, and I figured that I can still do sixty. Um, I could, you know, I can parent, and no worries. Um, but it was one of those steep learning curves, and they often say that when when you have babies later in life, it can often be harder because if we've got an established career, you know, I'm used to solving problems, um, and it's, you know, it's kind of what I do, what we do. And um, so I just figured that I'd read the books and so this is what maybe my baby was going to do. And a baby didn't... Mac didn't read those same books. <laughs> he didn't get it. So it was... Um, and I just remember my mum at the time and, you know, I'm doing everything by an app. So when he sleeps, when he wakes, and I'd have it on the, you know, on the app... 23 minutes on the right breast and seven minutes on the left and then every time he pooed, every time he weed, every and you know, mum kind of just telling me just relax and I was doing that thing where you wake them up every four hours, so it would take me two hours to get him asleep, he'd be, awake, he'd be asleep for half an hour 
And then I go, but the book says I have to wake him up. And mum's going, just never wake a sleeping baby. And it's like, what would you know? The book says. So I'm, how many I children do you, to How many children does your mother have? She has three and seven grandkids. (laughs) So what would she know, you know? Um, And it's just so funny now, like this second time around with Scout, it is, um, yeah, so different. I'm so much more relaxed. And I was saying to Helen, you know, now like, you know, she wakes up and I'll go, like, I just just feel which which boob is ready to be fed on. (laughs) That's the, that's how technical it gets. (laughs) Sorry for the one gentleman in the, in the, in the, I promise I won't mention the B word again. I don't think I was naturally maternal. I, you know, my sister with babies growing up, she just, if there was a baby, she was there. She wanted to cuddle it. I liked little kids, but if anyone said to me growing up, Ali, do you want to, you know, do you want to cuddle with the baby? It's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And, um, so I, it just, it didn't come naturally to me. Um, and my, like my mum has spoken about it. I'm just such a different parent this time. I'm so much more relaxed and like I've kind of, I think I've got it this time a bit better. But I just think um, because it wasn't something that came to me naturally, I thought, well, that's okay though. I can just, I can like everything else. I can just learn it. And um, if I read enough books, I'll be awesome at it. <laughs> I took Mac back to work with me when he was two weeks old and what was really interesting is I had all these people at work going, oh my goodness, you're amazing, I can't believe you're back at work so soon. The reality was that I wasn't coping, I wasn't very good at home. I I was sort of terrified at being at home with this baby and that something was going to happen to it because I didn't really know what I was doing. So my work environment was the safe place and... Um, an amazing group of people I work with. So I'd take Mac in and I'd be scripting my stories and everyone would sort of take Mac and what have you. And I remember one day, um, one of the producers, Nick, came up to me at about three o'clock in the afternoon and he goes, Al, I guess I just can't settle Mac. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong. And he's a father, he's got two grown girls. And, um, and, and I realised I hadn't fed him all day. I had, I had forgot, it was such a wake up call and realised I'd missed two of his feeds, um, which isn't, you know, and I think it's important that we talk about this stuff um, without calling docs. <laughs> it's fine now. Um, but it was just, and for me it was actually, it was a real eye opener when that happened. It's like, okay, right, I've got to kind of, I've got to reassess here. Um, I've just got to get a handle on this. And so I took a step back from work at that point and, and just said, look, I, I just I can't be doing all of this and just had to go home and then just focus on, on, on parenting. So it was a terrible thing to happen, but it was actually probably good in the end that it did. Like I didn't have postnatal depression. I've had mates who've had it and, you know, this battle to, to even get up in the morning, to, to not bond with the child. It wasn't anything in regards to that. I was just, I just didn't know what to, what to do. And I just, um, as I said, I didn't have that instinct. You know, when he was crying, I felt really isolated. Um, 
And I remember I only went to one mother's group, which was a really big mistake because I knew I was going back to work really quickly. And, um, you know, the, the women that were in my group were all sort of taking at least six months or 12 months off. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be in a position to be doing catch-ups and things. And I look at it now and think how that would have been really beneficial to, to me. And I can understand how important just going through that. And you're all going through it all at the same time just to kind of... Um, to understand you're not alone. And I remember having one night, my husband and I were in the lounge room and Mac was just a really unsettled baby. He never slept. It was every 40 minutes he was awake. Um, And just kind of staring out at all these other houses and saying to my husband at one point, they've all survived it. Like, we will too, you know. it's um, And that's why I think, you know, when we get together and we talk about, like things like this where we talk about the juggle of careers and motherhood is really important because... You think you're the only one going through it? Every single parent has been there, done that. I think it's such a, a personal choice. I mean, I was I was very lucky when we decided that we would try for children. I didn't know. I mean, that could have been something that didn't happen. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be easy or difficult for us to fall pregnant. Um, and I think you know. I and I've had you know girls come up to me and say, you know, in their twenties they want to start a family, but they're worried about their career. It all works out. Um, you're still on that path. But you might just deviate a little bit or, you know, it might take a little bit more time. But um, I wouldn't say if there's anyone ever wanting to have a family that you, you know, that you that you put your career first. Um, you know, I sort of left it late and could have left it too late. Um, and in one sense, I wish that I had done it earlier. Like my husband's 50, I'm 40. Um, and gee, I wish I had like... I wish I had a bit of youth on my side. (laughs) Um, And he sure wishes he was younger too. Um, But then, you know, we're in a position where both of our careers, um, you know, we we have a bit more freedom in what we can do now. So, look, it's worked really well for us doing it this way. But I don't think there's any right answer. Um, I think um, you've just got to do what you want to do. And I would never put off having children because you think it's going to impact your career. I swear at one point it almost cost me my marriage, is that, um, so my first year um, I travelled with Mac, he came everywhere with me for 60 minutes, um, which was awesome, that worked really well, but until he got to a point of of being one, um, he's a kid who thrives on routine and having his sleep at a certain time, and it was just unfair to have him dragging him from state to state, London to, you know, um, LA, Um, and it always sounded great, you know, taking him on the road and when I take him overseas I always took a nanny but it was really difficult but a you've got the time zone change so you know I'd finish shooting at the end of the day she'd hand Mac over and I've got a kid who thinks it's morning um and he's up all night and um you get up in the morning no one wants to know that you've had no sleep and you you've just got to do the job um so that didn't work. So then I had this great plan last year. I took on the role of Weekend Today Show co-host and I thought that at least guarantees that I'm home every weekend because I was finding I was travelling too much from 60. Every time I went to leave the house or Mac would see a suitcase, he'd, you know, he'd be, mummy, don't go, don't go. And I'd had this idea. You know, I think it's good. Like if he just knows this is what mummy does. Mummy leaves for work and mummy always comes back. 
and it just got to a point of going, this is this is horrible. I I hate this, and um, he's missing out. Um, and so I thought I'll do weekend today show, and then it means I'm always around every weekend. And 60 minutes was meant to be three days a week. 60 Minutes is a five-day week job. Can't be more than that often. And Weekend Today shows actually three days worth of work. So I was jamming what was pretty much eight days worth of work into seven. So I think last year I had five days off in total the entire year. And um, I did a lot of my work at night. So I get up with Mac each morning. I was pregnant too. Um, I get up with Mac each morning. It's 5.30 and I'd have 5.30 to 8.30 with him. Um, I go to work. I'd always try and be home by 4.35. And so I'd have that time until 7.30. He'd go to bed um, and I'd work till midnight every night. And then Saturday and Sunday mornings, I'd be up at 3.30 in the morning to go to work. Um, And I didn't realise just how much pressure that was putting on my family. I thought, you know what, I'm doing it all. I'm spending all this time with Mac. I'm getting, I'm doing these two jobs. Um, look at me go. And every time my trust, husband tried to talk to me about it, it was just like, back off, you know, maybe support me and don't judge me. And I mean, he was trying to support me. I just didn't see it for, for what it was. Um, but I was trying to be super human. And, you know, we got to the end of last year with 60 Minutes and I remember someone saying, oh, you did 24 stories for 60 this year. The next, Liam Bartlett did the second highest number and that was 19. So as the part-timer, I did more stories than the other guys, but it was all my own fault because I just kept saying yes. And somehow if I said no to something, then it was just proof that you can't do it all. And um, and you do, you reach breaking point. Um and it was probably a good thing to happen. And, you know, it's really kind of tough to talk about it just candidly too, to be honest, of, you know, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a failure. I thought I was doing it all well and handling it all. And it wasn't until, I mean, now I've got a newborn and a two-year-old and I've got more energy than what I had last year, to be honest. We were all prepared that Friday to, um, we were getting all the kids baptised, which had been Mike's dad's um, request. So we were all sort of getting, you know, that was, I was going to pick Mac up from daycare and we got a call in the middle of the day to say Mike's dad had passed away. Um, and it was expected, but I guess not quite that soon. And it was, I mean, I take my hat off to my husband that, I mean, I've got, most of my parents are still with us and they're extraordinary. Um, to lose a parent, but to lose a parent when it's so public too. Um, and all these people with, you know, best intentions and all, you know, sending their condolences and it was it was just chaotic. And I mean, we were at the house. There was only six of us there. We hadn't told anyone. And it was, and, and in fact, which I haven't said, it was Mike's, youngest son we hadn't told him yet and then it was announced on Twitter Um, and we have no idea it was a Channel 10 reporter in Perth so how on earth Um, and anyway it's just set off this weekend Um, I remember daycare called about an hour later saying Max got a fever and I went how high (laughs) Can you, like, I mean, are we, how serious is this? Can you keep him? And um, I picked him up at the end of that day and woke up. He woke up Saturday morning with hand, foot and mouth for the first time. 
so um, and then that evening I went into labour um, early and and so it was just it was a bizarre night too because Mac was up so he was in our bed I'm having contractions with the TENS machine on my back and, and he was watching some like Russian bear cartoon which he loves so and then every time I'm having a contraction he was freaking out so we pretend that we were lions and um, I had to call my mum and dad because all our plans for like if we went into labour what we'd do we don't have family in Sydney you know we've, who would take Mac he's got hand foot and mouth so we can't go anywhere so mum and dad have jumped in the car I hadn't packed a bag yet so Mike was dealing with Mac I was waiting for between contractions to climb the ladder to get the suitcase off the top of the wardrobe to pack a bag um, race off to hospital and Scout was born Sunday so we're receiving all these condolence messages from um, you know friends and family and work colleagues and we're nursing this newborn baby and we didn't tell anyone we'd had her and we were just sort of you kind of in survival mode really and I was really worried about about him so um the I got out of hospital on the Thursday and Mike's dad's funeral which was at St Mary's Cathedral in the city and was a mass with 500 people that was on the Friday and that's how most of our mates heard that we had a baby as so I walked in and, you know, I had still had a belly, but I, I was, didn't look eight months pregnant. Um, and so when I was standing outside the church um, meeting people, a lot of it would have been so strange for people who didn't realise that we were having a baby because all these people were coming out and congratulating me. And I just remember thinking, if you don't have context here, it's like, wow, she must have really hated her father-in-law. Like, <laughs> congratulations, he's passed away. But it was just so weird of all these people kind of like, oh, we're so sorry. But, you know, so we, we broke the house up. Downstairs were sad flowers and upstairs were happy flowers. So just to kind of, to have some sort of break. But it was just the most intense 48 hours that um, I've, that we've ever experienced. Um, and I remember being in hospital on the Monday morning. So, you know, she was 12 hours old and Mike just worried about everything. You know, we had a sick two-year-old and, and I remember just saying to him, he just started a new job the week before and it was a pretty big job. Um, and I remember just saying to him, okay, mum and dad have got Mac. He's totally fine. He's happy. He loves them. I've got the baby, you know, um, going to work for half a day and just so that's sorted and you can just put it out of your mind and then your only job is to write a beautiful eulogy for your dad and just to kind of strip it down like okay I've got her you just have cuddles and enjoy the good stuff but don't worry about any of the anything else um everyone and that was sort of how we sort of broke it down but it was yeah you sort of you know I was worried about Mac I couldn't see him I was worried about my husband and then, you know, trying to... It was just... It was it was intense. It was intense. But it brought us so... I mean, I think we're all... My husband and I have an amazing relationship. He's, he is phenomenal. And um, I think it brought us even closer kind of going through something like that. But, um, I mean, I already said that I didn't feed him that day. Um, that's not the worst. <laughs> So I, he's had it's amazing adventures. Like he's been swimming with minke whales off Great Barrier Reef, and then I took him up to a cattle station in Darwin, just outside of Darwin, to shoot a story. And um, so I had one of the girls from the cattle stage from the property who was fourteen, who's had lots to do with kids. I was leaving Mac with her. He was about eight months old. 
and we're going to be gone for two hours. So I just kind of left, didn't tell her anything and just thought, I'll be back in two hours, it's fine. We're in the middle of nowhere. We break down. We've got no communication and we didn't get home till after dark. So I'd left him at 10 o'clock that morning, not even, I hadn't told her where the nappies were, how to feed him, if he had allergies, nothing. And I was so stressed. I get back, she's relaxed. Um, I'm a mess. Um, She had walked to the neighbouring cattle station because she knew they had a baby a little bit older than Mac and that they'd have nappies and she knew where the spare key was. So she broke into their house, stole some nappies and came back. I mean, his formula and and his food were all in the boot. So she just mashed up whatever the other kids were eating and gave him that. And he was sound asleep and he'd had the best day ever. He was just, he was dirty. He was so dirty that whole trip. Totally, totally fine. But I remember we're in the middle of nowhere just thinking, oh, like, Oh God! Like water. He's going to be dead when I get back. Like you know, he's going to be taken by a crocodile or a snake, or he'll be starving. He'll be. But it was fine. Like you know, she said I just let him play nude for most of the day. And when we finished that trip, I had to race back to the airport, and the crew was staying to keep filming. So I've got Mac in the car, and we're almost at the airport, and I realised he's putrid. Like he hasn't had a bath in five days, and he's just covered in grime and. But I knew I used to live up in Darwin. I knew there was a surf life um, surf life saving club nearby. So I took him there, and there's a hose. So I've got this great photo. I just sit him on the I sit him on the grass. I strip him off, and I just literally get the hose and hose him down. He had a ball, chuck a fresh nappy on him, just make the plane and fly home. My husband's like, "How's the trip?" I'm like, "Yeah, good. No, you know, nothing happened. I reckon it took me." maybe six months before I kind of went, well, look, it wasn't without a few incidents, um, that trip, but, um, oh, I just remember that feeling being in the middle of nowhere and having no way of getting back to him or getting word to them what had happened and just, oh, feeling so sick. He's resilient. I'm teaching him resilience. (laughs) I came back to weekends when Scout was six weeks, um, but, and, and, and it, that works okay. So it's, um, you know, Mac goes to daycare Thursday, Friday. So Friday afternoon, I get all my prep done for the show the next day. I try and do prep both Saturday and Sunday if I can. Then I get up at 3.30 in the morning. I express. I leave it on the kitchen bench for my husband. Um, and then I'm home. I race home to do her second feed at a quarter to 11. And it's that that works um and you know I, was, I heard my husband say something really cool the other day um and one of his mates said oh look it's so good that you know that you you know that you babysit the kids every Saturday Sunday and he goes I don't babysit I parent and it's I mean the number of stories I had a girlfriend flying from Darwin to Sydney with her husband and three kids and they got one upgrade so they're going to share it so her husband sent her up the front first so he she's down he's down the back with the three girls and Beth said, I'm just kicking back. I'm having, I'm enjoying this seat. And then the, um, air, the flight attendant came out and goes, oh, your husband is amazing. Uh, we just want to send him something. Like, what does he like to drink? She says, don't send him anything. Like, you know, I do this route with the three kids all the time. And no one ever comes and says, wow, you're amazing for flying with three kids. Like, seriously, don't send him anything. And they went, no, no, no. We're just going to put something in his frequent flyer thing so that next time he flies, he gets an upgrade. 
And they kept coming down to Pete and saying, oh, what a great job he was doing. So when it was time to swap over, Pete's going, I can't. They all think I'm amazing. <laughs> and, and so Beth got to stay at the front the whole time. But it, I mean, it was just, you've got to be kidding me that like we, we praise them for doing, you know, for parenting their own children, you know, but I was so happy to hear my husband say that I'm not babysitting, I'm parenting. Um, I thought, yeah, step forward. Over 40, I think was sort of the end of your career for a really long time, like literally 40 and you were, you were gone. Or you having children, you were gone. Yeah. I don't know if any of you remember Kim Watkins. Um, she was a newsreader years ago and I was in my early twenties in the newsroom in Sydney. I remember her walking in and saying, um, I'm having twins. And there hadn't been a baby born in the newsroom to a woman. There's been the blokes, you know, their wives had had plenty and that was fine. Um, in something like 15 years. And, and I remember thinking that, like, oh, so Kim's leaving because that's just what happened. It was such a different time. The newsroom now in Sydney, there's so many, um, of the reporters have had children and a lot of them job share and they, they're, they've really, it's really moved um, a long way, I think, to like, it's not a big deal um, going and saying that you're pregnant and have a baby. It doesn't mean the end of your career anymore. But then I think, you know, that's, that's a very good thing and a good way that the newsrooms have changed. I think there's also been a lot of bad changes in newsrooms, which is, um, um, I think the moral compass has shifted a lot, uh, not in a nice direction. Um, and it's there's a ruthlessness. I would not work in a newsroom now. Like I work in 60 and it's we live in a little great bubble where we, we research our stories properly. And But I look at some of the stuff that goes to air. Um, and you just hear stories now, which never happened when I was in the newsroom. If there was someone, if there's a car crash, um, and then a news outlet might find out the names and they'll just publish. We used to always wait until we knew from the police that the family had been informed. And nowadays I just think, I mean, and I look at it with the, you know, Mike Senior passing and just, um, we were trying to get in contact with, um, with um, his younger son who's at school, um, but he hadn't gone to school that day. So he was at home and we couldn't reach his mum and um, yeah, and he saw it on social media. So for me, and, and accuracy doesn't seem to be as important anymore. And I'll, you know, I'm doing things on Weekend Today Show where our team is quite young and I'll question things all the time. It's like, have you checked the pronunciation of this? Yeah, 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 it's like that. And then you find out. I said, well, who did you call? Oh, Lord, I just know that's how you say it. And it's like, okay, I'm not convinced. I don't know how to say it. But, you know, if it's like a town in a, you know, in another country or something. It's like, call, call the embassy. Call the embassy and just, just check. And, you know, and that's just stuff that we always did. Um, and they're little things, but they kind of become greater issues. So now, um, I mean, a perfect example of it, you remember, and it's not just sort of online, um, it was at the Washington Post when they had the, the um, Boston Marathon bombings. Yeah. They posted the front page, um, a photo of a guy, is this the bomber? It wasn't. It was some poor guy. Now, you think of the amount of anger that existed at that time. You see the front page of the paper and go, 
oh, my neighbour did it. You know, they've all got guns over there. I mean, you just, the consequence of that have, could have been catastrophic. Um, so it wasn't just, it's not just, you know, people tweeting things and all. There's just, uh, and uh, and again, I, I, I think we're sort of going to, we're, we're reaching a point where that all has to be reassessed um, because I think uh, we've talked about it when we sit down with like bad guys to do interviews, like people hate people hate the journalist as much as they do the bad guy. You know, there's a real or more. distrust. So what do we do wrong oh. to deserve that? A lot. A lot. Uh, as yeah, an industry, we've done a, we've done a lot. I agree. Um, and that's why you know when when Trump comes out and says fake news and all, like we've the media's created this problem. Um, and I mean, in saying that, there's still brilliant journalists, and you know, and I think one of the things that you know that I see with my colleagues that I work with directly is that those who've sort of made it to to a certain level are those who work by their own moral compass. Like I've never gone to bed thinking, oh, I crossed a line or I screwed someone over and all. I'm um, The thing that I always talk about at work, and it's a, it's a theme that, you know, most of us feel, is that for us it's a story, for them it's their lives. We've got to make it work for working mothers. And um, I, I have a mate who only employs working mothers, and that's because she's worked out that they just work a hell of a lot harder. We constantly feel guilty. We feel guilty that we're not doing, spending enough time with our family. We feel guilty that we're not giving enough for work. So um, she says, you know, when they come in to work, she works around. They can often work from home. She lets them work around school pickup and drop off. But she knows that when they're working, they're utterly they're focused on that. They're not getting in, talking about what they're watching on Netflix last night, going and get their coffee. And, you know, they come in, they get their work done. Um, and it's one of the things that we've touched on before too. I have a really big problem watching mates who are now working, say, three days a week, but they're still doing a five-day week job. They're just jamming it into three days. Um, they're getting emails and phone calls on their days off and they're not being paid for it. So I have a real issue with that now that, you know, a lot of bosses are making it flexible, but um, but we're still doing a, a full-time job, but just jam it into three days. And then you wonder, no wonder we're so stressed. Um, and then, yeah, we're spending time with our kids, but are we, is it quality time that we're spending, we're spending with them? And I mean, this is sort of all the stuff that I'm going through now. I mean, I had the balance totally wrong last year. Um, but I think just having a second and realise that I just you've kind of got to pull back because there's actually no other option. It for me has been really good this time around. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure you check out the other conversations in this special series in partnership with Westfield and Dove. If you're not already a member of Future Women and you're interested in finding out more about events like this one, please head to futurewomen.com to join the club.